Straw Hut Media. Um, she was a very large baby, over 10 pounds. And uh, she was doing very well. And then towards the end, she started to have concerning fetal tracings on her monitor. Um, and so as a physician, I knew that that was happening. I could tell the demeanor of the nurses was changing. Um, and the doctor was getting worried. Um, so he was like, let's get this baby out. Come on, keep pushing, keep pushing. And then recognized that the cord had been wrapped around the child's neck. So she had a nuchal cord and he had to cut that uh, as soon as he saw it so that she wouldn't be strangled by it. Um, at this point, we had a child that was still partially born, but could not breathe because his mouth and nose are still in the mother uh, who had no umbilical cord, which means that she was suffocating. So I was like, ah, oh my God, like my, my kid is now suffocating in blue in front of me, right? So it's terrifying. I told you you would make me up. Don't emotional. make me get sad. <laughs> the doctors were great. They got the baby out super fast. There was a whole critical care team like right there because they knew she was a large kid. Got her resuscitated, put her on uh, mask ventilation. Took her off to the ICU and she did fantastic. She was totally fine. It wasn't a big deal. But when you love your baby, it's a big deal. And that's, I think, something that everyone does no matter what their family unit is like. How, how did that go with your, your partners in that moment? Because you work in medicine, you knew all of these things. So you, I would imagine, well, I don't know. I would imagine you felt really scared because you knew what it all meant. You know, um, I, was, I was super concerned. I also knew we had a great team. So um, I kind of expected things to go well, but you still, it's very frightening. Um, and then, you know, as soon as she got stabilized, we were just like, let's just get through this and she'll be fine. And then like within a day, we had a 10 pound healthy baby. I mean, she was like eating like most of a hamburger by the end of the <laughs> I'm only exaggerating slightly. So we, we very rapidly felt like we were imposters um, because we had this super large baby that clearly didn't need to be in the ICU. She looked ready to climb out of the bassinet and, and like play football. Um, and everyone else there had really sick kids. And so we were just like, we went from super scared to like, we're so lucky. Um, and then she was like the easiest baby. So like we had a health scare at the beginning, but then we went to like sleeping through the night at one month. That's a super baby. Oh, that must've so, been the best. I don't make anyone jealous, but like when you have, so our, our egg donor mother was staying with us. Um, and we love her to bits. She actually just um, left our house. She was there for several weeks and visits regularly. We love her. Um, she was there for the birth. And so we had four parents. Uh, we had a baby that was easy and we had four parents to take care of it with grandparents attending too. So like we went to see a movie the first week of her child's life. I, I don't know. It's like everyone should have extra partners. Like I strongly recommend it. It's more complicated, but it's well worth it. More people's more love. Polyamory is defined as being open to intimate relationships with more than one person. Polyamorous people are usually looking to share a romantic or sexual connection with more than one person. For Ian Jenkins, his day-to-day -day worries had less to do with whether his family or peers would accept his two partners. He was proud to be in a same-sex thruple, 
but that meant neither he nor his partners were able to physically give birth to a baby. They would have to seek out different methods to create a family. But soon, they would become three dads and a baby, and later, three dads and two babies. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. I'm a uh, hospital doctor and med school professor in uh, California, University of San Diego. Um, and uh, I'm here to talk about my somewhat unique modern family. I'm in a long-term relationship, 18 and eight years with two other men. And uh, we are raising two children that we um, uh, helped create with the help, of course, of several women. Um, and those children are the first children that we know of anywhere in the world that have a polyamorous family as their legal parents um, on their birth certificate. Ian Jenkins is a hospital doctor. With the current COVID-19 pandemic, many physicians are on the front lines of the surge. When we spoke with him, he was on his break, finding a bit of silence in a meditation patio. Uh, this is the University of California, San Diego Medical Center. We manage medical problems as opposed to surgical problems, and we do that in people that are hospitalized. So it is an interesting time to be in medicine. It's been a very strange year. Our um, administrators have been very supportive of us. Uh, the hospital's very well equipped. We have good facilities. And uh, I've been able to get vaccinated. So um, I feel very lucky to, to have received that first vaccine. I'm looking forward to my next one in about a week's time. Um, and not everyone is that lucky. You know, there's lots of people that are really kind of sick and vulnerable who haven't gotten the vaccine. So I just feel well, you know, a little blessing, I guess. And, and every time I come to work, if I see ill people, it's always a reminder to me that, you know, my health is good and that um, I, I'm privileged to be in a position to serve and not to be the patient. So um, I appreciate a lot of the support that's come our way, but um, we haven't had a bad time here. And my heart goes out instead to the right now L.A., um, but everyone who went through the terrible experiences in New York and Northern Italy, those, those sounded horrible. And under-resourced areas like uh, most of Mexico, you know, people don't hear about it as much, but pretty bad there as well. Ian spends a lot of his time at the hospital, which is also where he met his first partner, Alan. Alan was one of his medical students, but no, this is not Grey's Anatomy. They handled their personal and work lives separately, and the rest is history, right? I remember having this like long-term goal of being able to have a, like a family Christmas with my partner. That was it. That was like the ceiling for me. I was like, can't get any better than that. And that happened really quickly. Actually, I was able to meet someone in first year of college and they became a great part of the family. And, you know, think things that things move so quickly uh, with, with rights and gay marriage. Same sex marriage was legalized in California in 2008, five years after Ian and Alan had started their relationship. But Ian did not see marriage as a necessary part of their future. I ended up not getting married to Alan, uh, my first partner, because, you know, I, I guess I just grew up not really thinking marriage would be for me. And I didn't really see the point of mimicking that kind of ceremonial stuff. We're not in religious backgrounds ourselves. And, um, you know, for legal reasons, it didn't add a whole lot to us. So we just didn't really consider it. We, we wanted to make our commitment kind of based on... Um, uh, our relationship, I guess. So, uh, what is it? Joni Mitchell lyric, we don't need no piece of paper from the city hall. Keep an item true. With or without a piece of paper, the couple was living happily in a committed relationship. But soon, Ian brought up the idea of adding a third into the mix. 
Most people are raised to expect a monogamous relationship. That's how most of our culture works. But, you know, just with time and continued discussions, we became open to the idea of, you know, like incrementally um, considering, you know, dating other people and um, other people I, I know you know, some some gay relationships, some straight relationships, they sort of begin with the expectation it's going to be open. And either one or both people have the freedom to sort of date people on the side and all the rules are different. Um, I was open to the idea. It's been something that made sense for me for kind of a long time. And it's just sort of part of my, I guess, philosophy or worldview or something. Um, and it was more of an adjustment for my longer term partner, Alan, um, but he became open to the idea and we sort of inched towards, you know, dating other people. Like many of us who have been out in the dating world, they didn't find a match right away. Went on a few dates with some people that we really didn't connect with and it didn't really seem like it would fit for us until we met Jeremy and, and then that was sort of a natural beginning to the, the throuple. Jeremy is a zookeeper and like Alan, was looking for a monogamous relationship. When he sort of found out about my situation, he's like, oh, I'm not interested in dating a couple. And I said, that's absolutely fine. You know, we're, we'd love to have uh, interesting new friends. And, you know, we're not like weird sex fiends or anything. We're just regular people. So he said, okay. And I, I met him for lunch and we had a fantastic conversation. And I said, I'd like you to meet my partner. I think we'll all be good friends. And um, we brought him home for dinner and we spent, you know, every evening for the next week together because we just had a great time. And from there, it sort of became clear that we could become a family unit and we started dating, Jeremy moved in, then we joined all our finances and now we've connected everything. Ian, Alan and Jeremy formed a polyamorous relationship, which is often known as a thruple. So it's like a couple, but with three people in it. And we're a family unit. It's actually really domestic. We do all the stuff that a traditional family would do. It's just that there's three dads instead of two dads or a dad and a mom or two moms. I think kind of human nature for most people um, is that we're attracted to or able to love more than one person. And we see this happen a lot in society where relationships end or people are cheating. And polyamory is just the idea that, you know, we might want to be in a relationship with more than one person, but you should do that honestly and respectfully um, and openly. And, you know, some people just have several partners that are unrelated. We are a triad, so we all love each other. The new dynamic meant marriage was even more improbable as marrying more than one person is illegal in the United States. You know, typically what happens is someone's in a relationship and they're open to the idea of meeting another partner. Um, and then they kind of go on dates just like a single person would and, and maybe hit it off. And that's what happened for us. When Jeremy entered the picture, then we had this additional complication, which if two of us got married, it would be kind of unequal. Um, we have talked about doing that. And the main reason we would do it would be for strictly um, like financial reasons. Um, I mean, honestly, like if I got killed, because my kids are legally mine, which, you know, that was what we were worried about, that they wouldn't be. Um, they are legally mine now, so they can actually inherit my pension. And that's a big deal. But if um, that weren't possible, then getting married to one of my partners would be the only way to pass that on if I were to unexpectedly get killed in a car accident or something. The three men combined their finances and properties to link them together as a family without a trip to City Hall. They also became one of the first polyamorous families to have three names on their children's birth certificates. But how do you keep a polyamorous relationship strong? How do you maintain trust? It depends on the relationship. Some people will say, 
you know, you're free to do dating with other people, but I have to hear everything. Others will say you're free to date other people, but I don't want to hear anything at all and everything in between. So um, it's, I think the key for any um, non-monogamous relationship, a consensual non-monogamy is communication. And that's a good idea for any relationship. But when you add additional people, just the amount of communication and openness uh, and willingness to listen and compromise goes up kind of exponentially. As you were you were building your relationship pre kids, did you did you find that it was challenging to because in a way it's it's separate relationships and a relate you know and a group relationship, but did you find right. that it was challenging to manage two partners and this other group relationship too? Um, not really, to be honest. I think that if you know if, if someone had relationships with two people and they were very separate, that that would be more work because you would run the risk of one person kind of feeling left out or not prioritized. You know, so let's say it's your birthday and you have two partners that are not involved with each other. Someone's going to feel slighted by not coming to that event as the primary person, right? Um, with us, we we're all in a relationship together, and so it's actually easier uh, to be completely honest. I mean, if one of us wants to go to a movie in a year that's not being destroyed by a pandemic, and one of us is tired, there's someone else who's like, "Yeah, I'll go. Let's do that." Uh, it's just wonderful that you know if there's something that I might not want to do, um, you know, one of my partners will do that with the other partner. So we all like have a different thing. Uh, my partner Jeremy is is the one who watches RuPaul's Drag Race with Alan, whereas I watched Game of Thrones with Jeremy until it really went all wrong at the end. But, um, you know, so I think it's actually a lot of help. We complement each other in different ways. We all bring different things to the relationship. And, and it's, it's actually a, a delight and, and easier to have that uh, in the house. When we come back, we'll talk about family. How did their families and friends react to their polyamorous relationship and how the Thruple built a family? Welcome back. Today we're talking to Ian Jenkins, a medical doctor in a same-sex polyamorous relationship. Before the break, Ian told us how he met his two partners and how they became a thruple. Not only did the three men come out as gay, they also came out as polyamorous. So, how did their friends and family react? You know, amongst all of our friends and coworkers, we really had no reaction whatsoever. I mean, um, everyone knew uh, previous to us introducing Jeremy that we were in a same-sex relationship and nobody cared. Um, that's a factor of us, I think, living in Southern California and, and having, you know, high education colleagues, to be honest. Um, and, and Jeremy's uh, friends knew about him as well. And then when we became a thruple, um, everyone was welcoming, like universally. Um, so that was that was very pleasant. And I think we're very lucky to have had that experience. And the luck continued. The three men shared the news with their parents and were delighted that they, too, were accepting of their relationship. Family-wise... Um, my families were sort of completely nonplussed. I have um, a father and stepmother and then my mother, and separately they just really didn't bat an eye when I told them that I had an additional partner. Um, they met Jeremy, fell in love with him, like, great, welcome to the family. Um, Alan's parents uh, come from a Catholic background and they needed to spend a little bit more time kind of adjusting, um, but pretty quickly came around. Um, and, and it really only takes seeing that this is a, a trusting, open, and consensual relationship. You know, it's not exactly traditional, but it's not cheating on anyone. And, and so it's, um, 
I think that's the concern people have is that they assume if you're not monogamous that you must be cheating or dishonest. And when people see us interact, they know right away we're just like a regular family. Um, Jeremy's parents uh, had the, you know, the most adjustment, I think, because, you know, Jeremy's actually a pastor's son and the religious tradition his family is from is a conservative religious tradition. Um, and so when we met Jeremy's parents for the first time, we didn't order any alcohol. And, um, you know, this is this is a group where they don't use traditional playing cards or go to movies because it's it was very, um, very conservative. So they had more uh, adjustment to do. Uh, but there's nothing uh, that wins over uh, a parent than the offer of grandchildren. And so, um, you know, just meeting us again and seeing that we weren't crazy people, um, that we were actually very tame, ordinary, law-abiding, um, domestic types helps. And then we have these beautiful grandchildren and they're a delight to be with and everyone wants to play with them. So, you know, who, who, can, who can argue with that? Ian, Alan, and Jeremy had been dating for many years before they decided to expand their family even further. We all had been interested in parenting. Um, we knew that there would be delights in having children and a lot of work as well. Some of the friends began to question why the Thruple had not made any moves to start a family. But unlike an opposite-sex couple, same-sex parents have a couple extra steps to take before they can welcome a baby into their lives. When a traditional straight couple wants to have kids, they just stop using birth control and then that's all they need to do. That sounds easy enough, but for same-sex couples or thruples, it's much, much more complicated. You have to have um, you know, a surrogate and then everyone has to go through health screening. And so I had to health screen the uh, egg donor uh, mother who you know, mothered these embryos um, and test her for STDs because to implant the embryos in someone else you have to do that, even though the embryos were created like years before. So uh, that's that's a lengthy and complicated and expensive process that we learned a ton about and hope we never do again. I mean, we're not going to do it again. It's very onerous. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, the surrogacy people will sort of guide you through that, IVF uh, doctors. You have to either pass hurdles to become adoptive parents uh, or you have to you go through surrogacy. And we, you know, kind of had like this, these barriers to doing that. It was just sort of like this threshold we had to get over where we, we didn't um, get to the point of making it happen for some years, even though we talked about it. And then Jeremy's like a nurturer. And I think he had felt more strongly about being a parent um, and, and sort of brought it up more often. What started out as all talk turned into a reality when a few of Jeremy's friends made an unexpected offer over margaritas at a party. She's like, my wife and I, um, we have embryos from our family creation that we can't use. We don't have, you know, we have three kids and we can't, um, we can't raise two more, but we don't want to discard them. And so we want them to be raised by someone that we trust and that we can remain part of, even though we won't be the parents, we want to be uh, involved, you know, know them and know where they came from. Um, and so they offered their embryos to us and we ended up you know, talking about it and pretty quickly deciding that that would be a good idea and we wanted to be parents to these embryos and we adopted them and then proceeded with implantation. After deciding to accept the embryos, Ian, Alan, and Jeremy had a few technical procedures to go through. They signed consent forms and ran health screenings on the embryos before they were cleared to be implanted in someone else. The next step was to find surrogate mothers. 
one of the things you have to do is is either through an agency or through friends identify someone who wants to carry a child for you and this is a tremendous gift i mean pregnancy is you know some people love being pregnant but it's not an easy process especially to end uh, and there are health risks you know and people can have blood clots or infections or um, other health related problems it takes a lot out of you so it's a huge 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 gift and we're just so grateful for the two surrogates that we had and our egg donor of course Unfortunately, the initial two embryos they were given were not successful. We weren't able to implant one of the embryos and the other one did not take. But they tried again. Circling back, having to identify an egg donor, um, you know, do the, the um, IVF cycle for her to create more eggs, having the eggs extracted, timing that with our, our surrogates, um, you know, availability in her cycle. It was a lengthy process. I think it was uh, at least an 18-month, 24-month process. But eventually, it worked out, and Piper was born. It feels like a decade ago, because now we have a three-and-a-half-year-old. While starting a family cost them more than $100,000, Ian had no regrets after seeing his daughter. I feel like I kind of always have been her parent, you know? She's just there's so much energy, and she's such an interesting person um, that it's like hard for me to think back to before she existed. A few years later, the Thruple found a second surrogate mother, and in 2019, they welcomed their second child, Parker. Juggling two kids is a challenge, but having one more parent than a traditional nuclear family does have some perks. You know, most people are kind of stuck in the house taking care of kids, but we always had this opportunity to say, you're tired, go to the other side of the house and sleep, we'll take care of it. Or why don't you two go out and have dinner? I'll watch the kids tonight. And that's just fantastic. Like so many people I know, their social lives and their rest and their sleep are really impacted by having kids. And for us, it's been really easy to have an additional caretaker for the children, but also for the other parents. What do the kids call each of you? Um, I'm Papa and um, Alan is Dada and Jeremy is Daddy. And we've, we thought those were great names to begin with. We recognize that somewhere around before high school, kids are going to stop wanting to call us Papa and Daddy but, um, and Dada. But uh, we don't know what it's going to become. Um, maybe like Daddy Alan, Daddy Ian, Daddy Jeremy. I'm not sure, but we'll let them play with it. Um, that's what we do right now. It was a long journey to bring Piper and Parker home, but one that resulted in a happy thruple and two beautiful babies. And like any good story, Ian decided it deserved to be documented. He wrote a book called Three Dads and a Baby. The goal of my book was to create something that would be an interesting read um, that, you know, kept people engaged, um, brought up topics that, um, you know, make people kind of think like, hey, why do we have these uh, traditional structures? Are they the only way to do things? What are some of the alternatives? Um, you know, are non-traditional families as good for kids? Um, what are they like to be in? Um, and hopefully have some laughs along the way. But it, it was to share that the polyamory experience and also um, to talk about, you know, non-traditional relationships um, and, and even just really the idea that we're men, you know, just the idea of two men still bothers some people. But uh, ultimately the message is that love is love and that if kids are taken care of and cherished, um, 
they can thrive under all sorts of different circumstances and, and family structures. Um, and I wanted people to see that. And I also really wanted people to know that if they were in a non-traditional relationship, it did not mean that they had to end up as a legal nobody to their family. So one of the benefits of us doing this, so we never set out to like create kind of legal precedent. We just wanted to have kids, but we needed to um, be legal parents so that we could protect our child's interests. You know, like if we need to take our kids to the doctor or we're in another country and we have to make decisions for them um, or, you know, there's some kind of issue where it's unclear who's responsible for anything, financial, um, you know, college decisions, whatever it is, we wanted them to have all of us involved um, so they have more resources. And now that we've done this, um, it's known throughout the West Coast and throughout surrogacy law uh, courts throughout the United States, I understand. Um, that this has been done and it's an option and it went well. And that means that other families that might have extra parents now can point to this precedent and say, we should all be you know, legal parents to our child um, for their benefit. Uh, and so we're hoping that to make people more aware of that um, and also just more aware of you know, that there are different kinds of families out there. Um, and we're gonna see lots more of them in the future. Polyamory is becoming significantly more popular with younger people and, and we're gonna see these types of families and. It's good for us all to be familiar with each other and you know, just increase understanding. So when does your book come out? Uh, it comes out in April, I think on the 9th. Uh, it is available for pre-order now on Amazon. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing some hard copies. That'll be exciting. If you want to see more from Ian and his family, you can find them on Instagram. It's uh, three dads and a baby, and that's all separated by um, underscores. for listening. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pride. You can follow me at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Maggie Bowles, and Ryan Tillotson. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. This episode was written by Caitlin McDaniel. Thanks. Really appreciate it, guys.